Welcome to Tales from the Dance Floor, a podcast exploring the lives and times of people from all walks of life who followed their passions and made careers out of DJing, producing, parties, dance culture, and the music industry. I'm Phil Morse from Digital DJ Tips. Let's get started. So I'd like to welcome Brandon Block to the podcast today, true 90s superstar and a name that a lot of people who've been around long enough will certainly know. Brandon, welcome. Hi, Phil. Thank you very much for the lovely welcome, mate. Yeah, all right, it's good to have you here. Listen, we've got so much to talk about. I want to get stuck right in. I want to talk about the 90s. I want to talk about the excesses of the DJ world. Yeah. I want to talk about your partnership with Alex P, which was defining at the time yeah. for you. Uh, your ups and downs, your your stuff on TV, and and certainly I want to move on to where you are now, okay. which I think is the most interesting part about the whole story, actually. Okay. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's start with the rave scene, the club scene in the 90s in the UK. How did you get involved in it? Uh, right, so I suppose um, the way to best describe it is I did the usual growing up in the 80s. Anyone who was sort of uh, socialising in pubs and liked their music, well, that's where we did our sort of our social network building. So I started in pubs um, at 15. I didn't drink in pubs until I was old enough, of course, like we all did. And um, and then, you know, I was into my, uh, my soul and my funk music. I mean, from a very early age at school, I remember the first day of secondary school, sort of uh, actually bunking off. It was great the first day, but then the second day I went in and um, I got bullied a bit. And I, I remember sort of finding the uh the biggest and oldest and coolest sort of guy geezers in school to to back me up you know and and they sort of because of my cheek and break it sort of uh we sort of took me under their wing let's say and uh to go to go with them lot to the lunchtime disco under the blazers and sort of sneak in and learn my dancing trade there my jazz shuffle and knees spinning moves and everything and I was quite young so I picked up my dance and I was very and I love my music so I ended up being quite a good dancer and that progressed into you know but then the pubs and we was obviously buying all our import records spending all our money on the music and um, the pub we used to go to was a fantastic institution I did a lot of growing up there and I still miss it to this day but we uh, the geezer who used to DJ there was it didn't turn up one week and the governor said come on you lot I know you've got loads of records go and get them, will you? Because we've got a busy one tonight. So we went home, picked our milk crates up, come home, uh, come back to the club pub and uh, and we started playing music and we packed it out and he said, well, I'm not going to get the other fella back now. So uh, basically we just, you know, took over there and that's how myself and my mate Ali, um, who's, you know, some of my best mates this day, we, we sort of made this, uh, a funny thing was, the irony of it was, it was in 1985 when we sort of, we're doing this, if I remember, 85, was it 85? Maybe 83. And um, the name of our mobile disco at the time was Ecstasy Disco, would you believe? <laughs> I know. Well, there you I know. So there was uh, the foreboding onslaught ready to come. I think the actual writing was on the wall, as they say. Yeah. Well, look, it's funny that you say that because an awful lot of people who kind of made it big, made a name for themselves in that era, started just a few years earlier. They kind of like, it's almost like you need that two or three years to get 
to start to work out what's what. And then anyone who'd done that was in the right place when the whole 88, 89 thing hit and the, and the, the house thing exploded. Yeah. Was, that the, was that how you would say it was for you? You kind of like, you knew enough then to, to kind of jump on it when it all happened? I don't think it was, I mean, yes, I suppose enough like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I think my transition was because I was very anti, you know, certain stuff at the time uh, because I'd had a very bad experience when I was much younger. Um, and so I wasn't, I wasn't the first one to take an ecstasy pill by any means, but I did love my music and, and house, although and I was working in a record shop as well at the time, coupled with, I can't remember if I start then. Anyway, it was around that time. It all sort of came together. House music. We were playing house music anyway in the pub uh, early, you know, Carino and all these sort of really early DJ international stuff and, you know, track stuff. And then, mm -hmm. you know, uh, along came some underground warehouse parties, which my mates, uh, we used to go to like clubs, but my mates said, come to, yeah, come to these, uh, you know, warehouse parties. And I sort of know at first. And, and then I, I, I sort of succumbed and said, wow, I, I, this is me all over. And I, I got involved in every part of every aspect of the scene, let's say. So, uh, you know, my, my first, my first uh, outing left me dancing on my own on a roof of a, shed in a friend's garden till 12 o'clock next day when everyone had gone home so <laughs> i just thought yeah and that was 88 87 no 88 and um so after that yeah i immersed myself in that i love the music i love the environment i love the you know the community um i also love the uh, substances i was taking at the time so it all just became wonderful i mean that whole experience was just incredible at that time obviously it didn't last like that but you know for the time being it was a wonderful place to be and a great, a great, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing with the, you know, the community and the dancing and the music was just fantastic. You know, it was just a, a real good escape and, and it brought everyone together. You know, everyone was sort of separate, separated it more. People who, who came from all different walks of life musically came, get, came together in these clubs to dance to wonderful music and forget about what was going on on the outside, you know? You were unashamedly right there at the front of that. You know, people tried to, especially when you read some of the longer articles in Mixmag at the time, or especially places like The Guardian and so on, you know, they tried to kind of like, in a way, add a layer on top of that that, that, that a lot of us thought wasn't really there, right? I mean, it, that you just described it perfectly. It was about escaping a pretty horrible time. When if you went to the next town, you probably came back with, you know, someone that tried to smack your face in. And it wasn't a nice time to be young. And then all of a sudden it was a nice time to be yeah. young. And that was kind of it, wasn't it? That was kind of it. That was it. You're right. It was, you know, from from transition from sort of not a good time to be young to bringing everyone together in unity and dancing to the same music. But also the thing about that music scene was it opened so many doors musically, you know, so you could... I think in people's minds so that they, you know, you know, Alfredo, those eclectic sets at Amnesia. But, you know, the whole the whole thing about being able to play a, sort of a Balearic record next to a house record, next to a, a rock record, next to a, um, you know, a new a new beat record, next to a Britpop record or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, because music transcends. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I love all types of music. It's not just one type. And I, I grew up and I value all my learning of music through the 80s and the 90s, even 70s and 60s, whatever, there's certain records that I hear and resonate with me and I love them. It doesn't matter what style or genre they are. Mm. If I love the record, I loved it and I'll play it, you know? And uh, I've been known to play a few 
weird and wonderful tunes in a set, which, you know, I think at the time would work. Some have, some haven't. <laughs> but I think, you know, that whole thing about opening people's minds and saying, wow, you know, just going to appreciate music, not for what it is, not for what style it is, but for what it is. Yeah, and I agree. That was kind of, well, that was the Balearic thing, as you say, people like Alfredo and so on. That's what it was all about, wasn't it? It was about context. It was about putting the music in, the, in an order that mattered, uh, that made sense. And then if you could do that right, you could get away with anything. Um, I agree. That was a great part of that that whole thing. Because just because you suddenly your world suddenly changed, it doesn't mean the tracks that you liked beforehand have gone away, does it? No, Maybe that no, was part and of you it. You know what, I still... You know, I still listen to my, uh, you know, I was coming home Saturday night. On the way out, I was listening to, uh, you know, um, to my funk and soul. And then on the way home, I I, I said to my mate, I'm going to put my pop 80s track list on or whatever. And I just picked some shit. I just put it on shuffle and I was singing to myself. There was, you know, like Dire Straits and Phil Collins and just all sorts of like Blondie and bloody you know, Rama and all this stuff that I used to just love. All right, guilty pleasures, I think you call them, but they're not. I'm not guilty about any of them. I'm, it's a pleasure to listen to them. So I love it. Well, they say you shouldn't have guilty pleasures because you probably see something in music that other people don't. So therefore, it's as you say, it's just a pleasure. Well, you know, I mean, um, nothing, you know, I mean, maybe a few years ago, you know, oh, they like, it, but it was. It's not like that. Is it opened? Uh, dance music scene opened every door. So now it's not untrendy to listen to any music. It's actually cool to just listen to music. So it doesn't matter what. There's no. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting you should say that. What? How much do you think streaming and Spotify and playlists have have done that? You know, the random button where you can just dial something up and and or, or you know the Saturday afternoon barbecue that that kind of playlist on your on your your Apple Music where you just hit play and someone else has decided a whole load of stuff. Do you think that's broadened this generation's taste, or do you think it was? us lot who broadened their taste by kind of like making the making the DJ and the selector and the curator front and centre. I think it's a culmination of everything, mate. I think the fact, that we, yeah. the fact that, you know, we were in a position back in those days to be able to get away with doing that stuff, and we probably did, most of us who were playing music at that time, try to get away with the old... I mean, it was the cool thing to do back in the 88 and 89, you know, to play in a, a really obscure or... Uh, but a record that resonates and just get away. And it, they became mm. big underground records, although they'd been big in the 80s or big in the 70s. They became, on, the, on, the, on the dance music scene, they became great, big underground records, you know, like not new necessarily, just underground, you know, like, like uh, going back to my roots, Richie Havens, Danny used to play. And then, you know, you've got the, the Balearic stuff, the YYYs and the Dance with the Devil, the Pope, 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 Pope used to play. And then, you know, people used to play you know, synonymous with them. They'd have a, a, a like a, um, you know, like a, like a signature, signature tune, tune kind of like, and, yeah. So I think we we started that. I don't think it's I don't think it's damaged anything on the way through. I think what's happened is, and if you know, the kids nowadays are able to tap into any genre and enjoy it, then why not? And you know, my daughter, for instance, she's got a great taste in music, electric, electric, eclectic taste. And I was quite amazed that sometimes the stuff that she'd play me, and it was like she went for a Motown period and went to. She's eighteen now, but. When she was younger, I mean, we used to play music. I'd be interested, and she'd play Motown, reggae, and this. And I'd be thought, wow, that's a really cool uh, musical taste, you know? And, um, and, you know, now when you're DJing, you, you're going to get along with the younger, the younger, younger people coming to the clubs and, and, and asking for, you know, asking for old records. And, and I think, wow. And it's because their parents have played it to them, you know, and they grew up on that stuff. So that, that music that they grew up on was resonated with them. 
So I, I remember a plan at a friend's wedding or a friend's uh, daughter's birthday party, and, and one of her friends came up and said, "Have you got um, Cheryl Lynn?" Um, to be real, real, and I went, "Yeah, I yeah." Went, I said, "I have. I can't believe you're asking me for it." It's unbelievable. Record, <laughs> and she went, "Yeah, I love it." And me, mum plays it. And we love it. We play it all the time. So. You know, that's someone that records what in 82, 81. Um, yeah, yeah, so, and it's been uh, remixed you know, and remade you know, so many that, times. And yeah, it's great, it's a fantastic thing that it's opened up. Look, the internet has opened up a world of information, right? And it's opened up lots of great channels. The only thing it's for my experience and opinion is that it's created a lot of people who are going to be very lonely because. They, they, their phones are their best mates and it's it's not about that you know humanity is not about that because you know although you can keep in contact with mates around the world you don't see them you don't you know you, you can't cuddle them you can't you can't sit in company and, and, and not be distracted by other things that's going on in the world you know so you know. it's a difficult one isn't it I'm sat here talking to you staring down at a feature phone because I refuse to carry a smartphone around for that very reason but You've I can't stop my phone. A what? An old-fashioned phone. It's got twelve buttons on it, and a, a pick-up and a put-down. An old-fashioned phone, like the old Nokia's. Have you really? Just what takes phone calls and SMS. I've got calls. one in the cupboard, but I just. I, <laughs> I can't do. I, I stopped this year. I stopped. I said no. There's going to be no more smartphone in my pocket. And uh, true, I have an iPad nowadays, but you have to make a point of getting that thing out and turning it on. It's not just like mindless, but uh, it's a battle, isn't it? It's a battle now for attention more than anything else. It's a battle for attention out there. <laughs> and I think I think if you're able to manage that that whole, I mean, I'm constantly looking at my screen time now, I find, and I think that, you know what, if I, if I, if I found a software that I can, and I suppose it's about being manual and just sitting there and putting the numbers you need in the phone, isn't it? Is that what you did with that one? That's what I did with that one. It's just got the, if someone rings me or I need to ring them, it goes in. I'll tell you what, the number of numbers in there is about a tenth of what's on my uh, on my big list. So there you go. Well, you know um, what, but anyway. I, you know what, you've, you've just inspired me. I've got a little Nokia in the cupboard, one of them little ones they re- re-released. Yeah, yeah. Dig it out. Dig it out. You might find it sets you free. I'm sure it does. But you know what, I, I have... I have some. Do you know what though? You, you know what? You could just use the iPad. You're right. Well, there we go then. So maybe we'll inspire a movement here. An iPad and a crappy cheap phone is the way forward. And you know what? The iPad can play the Apple Play in the car and all that, and then you don't. Oh yeah, it can. Yeah, and you can also get a little, uh, a tiny little device. It's called a Mighty, and it, it's about the size of an old iPod Shuffle, and you can put your Spotify playlists on it offline. And carry it around so you don't need to be online to listen to your Spotify tunes. But to be honest with you, mate, right. I, the only time I listen to records as such is in the motor. And um, I, I, I tend to, you know, I, I, it's not often enough that I need to, um, you know, have the car, have the phone on me at the time. So I suppose people ring you in the car, you just don't talk to them and just ring them back, don't you? That's true. Well, listen, it's becoming clear already, Brandon, that you've, uh, you've got a real... Uh, a real passion for the way people live and living right. And of course that brings us, I want to come back to the nineties, but I think you just naturally brought us on to kind of now and what you're up to now, um, which is you are, well, I'd call, I'd call you a happiness counselor. Would you call yourself a happiness counselor? Well, you, I, run happy, I, I, happy days? you know what, mate, I did look, more of what I did more recently. I worked as a, a drug and alcohol project worker for six, seven years. And then uh, proceeding, uh, 
preceding that, no, no, uh, yeah, after that, sorry, I uh, then went to work for the NHS, uh, working with severe mental health, uh, doing outreach, multiple complex needs, which is homelessness, mental health, substance abuse, criminality. Uh, and that was really hard work. And, um, you know, you see some people living, you just think, how do people get to this place in this modern world we live in? Hmm. Uh, so it's very grounding. And, you know, the thing about happy days is, you know, my, my stuff we do now is we were sitting in, I met a couple of friends through, Actually, look, I'm going to tell you the story. I hope you don't mind. I've digressed a little bit. No, you go for it. We've gone everywhere already. It's good fun. So, Let's do it. Okay, so um, I was working in the NHS. It was a very, very demanding position, and I, I, I got burnout um, really quite, you know, just I didn't know where I was. It was I'd lost my mind, really. I was, I was in sort of overwhelm of everything. You know, you're accountable for people's lives and you've got to be careful what you say and you just think, oh, my God, God forbid if anything happens well, overnight. You know, these were very vulnerable people and very, very uh, chaotic, let's say. Um, but in that, it, within that period, I also got offered to go and sleep with my brother again, right? And I was offered that many, many times in the late 90s and 2000s and it, it was always like you were pipped at the post by whoever it was, right? So I sort of said, look, I don't really care if I get it or not, I said, I suppose I can go for the interviews, blah, blah, blah. And they said, they, they assured me you've got the job. And I was like, okay. And then I thought to myself, what am I doing this for? And I actually had no idea about what I was doing. I didn't know what the reasoning was. It wasn't passionate. It wasn't necessarily passion. It wasn't anything. Cause I was obviously in this world of looking at how people think and what makes you happy and, you know, do it for passion and do it for, mm. and I was thinking, what the hell am I doing this for? Anyway, Without me realising, of course, I've got burnout, so I'm not mentally in the right place anyway. So I, I attempt to do this, uh, you know, and I've gone into this place after, you know, being with, and I ask myself these questions about what my clients think if I'm doing, if I'm sitting in this house, you know, and shouting and screaming. And, I, and I've been working with people's, um, you know, confidentiality and boundaries and, you know, real life issues and not, and was it something I wanted to be famous again and all this? And I was like, I didn't really know what I was doing. So, it, but what I was, I was sort of putting myself through a, a therapy, but on telly, which is not the best thing to do. So, <laughs> no, I think you'd probably advise yourself that that wasn't the best thing to do, right? I, I, you know, I left after two weeks. because. Of so Celebrity Big Brother, for those who don't know, is a reality TV show. It was the original one, right? And, uh, and uh, well, so Big Brother was. Celebrity Big Brother was a follow-up. So this was, what, 2010 you were doing this? No, God. No, Celebrity Big Brother was like 2017. There, of course, sorry, it was yeah, because it was it was around 2010 that you started doing the the the, the project work and stuff. Yes, of course. So only 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 three years ago. No, three years ago, and then, but what it did do yeah, for yeah. me, and I'll be honest, which was a great experience. I learned about what I needed to do for myself and what I needed to do to get myself well again. I so I realised I was in a, a not a great place emotionally and spiritually. Mm. By being in that house, I created a, a, an even bigger um, sort of anxiety around life let's say and, and i left but then it but it is i left and realized that i need to do some work on myself which i have done and that's what led me on my path to you know the, the happy days stuff and you know the the coaching because you know when you work as a project worker you are a life coach right and you like you coach people's lives from the worst possible place ever yeah. So what I re and all the training I did was led me up to that stuff. So I, I, you know, I was unaware. But now, when I look back on what I've did and I've learned, I look through my, you know, my training schedules back then. I've got 
you know, NLP certificates, CBT certificates. I got City and Guild in health and social care. I got MVQs in, you know, drugs awareness. I've got, uh, I'm a smart recovery champion, champion trainer and all this. And, you know, I would never have done any of that. I would never have done essay writing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing suicide awareness training this week, which I've done as part of it. I'm doing mental health aware, mental health first aid this week with mind. Um, obviously we've got this well, whole well-being thing with happy days. I mean, it, none of this would have happened if I'd have it stayed in the house even, or, or you know, uh, my life mapped it way, mapped its way like this because of. So I want to talk. I want to talk towards the end about the coaching you're doing now because it's really important, and it strikes me that you kind of like it's almost like you've you decided to give yourself a break and coach some people who want to go from, from all right to somewhere else rather than, you know, um, coaching people who are really at the bottom, uh, which I, sounds to me like a reasonable break to, to give yourself after putting half a decade into that. But anyway, I, the reason I want to um, kind of come back to that at the end is firstly, it's what you're doing now. So it'd be a nice place to end. Yeah. But secondly, you know, you have this kind of trait of living larger than life. Right. Um, and, doing it in public. Mm. So as a DJ in the 90s, you were, you know, uh, right there at the forefront of the excess of the 90s. And if someone was going to get something started, it was going to be you. Uh, And, um, you know, this was, as we all know, it can be great, but it's got a very, very big downside, especially if you do it for too long. Uh, And and it all came crashing down in the 90s, of course. People will remember uh, the 2000 Brit Awards with you on stage with Ronnie Wood misbehaving. And... uh, you know, other, you certainly weren't the only one, but, you know, this was this was kind of al- almost where it was all heading right. And um, the reason I'm asking you the question is you've clearly and, and thankfully, as we all do, uh, kind of grown up and done some done some looking at yourself, but you've done it all in public. You That was in public. Your DJing excesses were in public. The Celebrity Big Brother stuff was in public. <laughs> what is it about doing stuff in public, Brandon? Most people kind of can sort this stuff out in a little less of the spotlight what is it about you and getting stuff done in the public eye i don't know i don't know what i think i don't think about youtube right think about instagram think about snapchat think about facebook think about anything that you're allowed to share your life on right yeah it's created a platform for everyone to be a star right i think yep. maybe for me back then and it wasn't about i think i was living my in my in my drug days i was living in my mask right my mask was my protector at that time and that was to be the most outgoing, maddest person because I'd obviously felt that underneath that, I wasn't confident of the real Brandon, right? Mm. So my mask was to be the most outlandish, craziest, most dangerous, risk-taking mother mofo that there was. And I was. Yeah. And I did it well. But, yeah. you know, I think, I think what was, you know, look, the public stuff, the Brit Awards, it was a drunk night, right? That wasn't, that was just me. I was a fun, you know, I, I do mad things occasionally. That wasn't part of my, because I'd stopped taking drugs five years previous, you see. So 96 was my moment of detox from, uh, uh, you know, recreational substances, right? I've never went back. I've never relapsed. I stopped 23 mm-hmm. years ago, right? And I stopped a horrendous habit overnight, which was really hard work. But I did it and I never went back. So, um, that shows my determination and my motivation and my, you know, ability to say no decision. But I think 
to say that, you know, not of it, but Mick Mag did an interview for me of me then because it was not known about then. 1996 wasn't a time when everyone was going, all oh, right, I'm really in trouble here with, you know, substances and that. I'm, everyone was still, you know, still crazy. I was the one because I took it to the max and I was dying. Mm. I was given two weeks to live. So, literally, and I mean that. So, I, I, I suppose that the fact that Mitch Mix Mag said, look, this is important. This needs, people need to know about this. A very early intervention, let's say, right? Yeah, which they did. They did an interview with me in um, that edition. I've got it here somewhere. It's a three cent page spread, and they actually came to the the clinic, and I came out for a couple of hours and sat across the road, and we we did went for this interview. And I think from then, although um, the stuff that's out now is what people want to hear, because you know everyone's doing it, as you say. It wasn't always like that. I was very private for a period of time. So after that, so you so you're talking about. Okay, the Brit Awards was one instance in 1999. I stopped in 96, right? But after that, the sort of the celebrity, let's say, reality shows I did were just for fun. You know, it was a, a sort of a nice place to be at the time to be able to do that stuff. And it was quite a cool thing to do. But, you know, um, after 2010, when I went on my journey, I, I didn't, you don't hear anything about me. I wasn't out there doing it because I was working with people and I actually, you know, realised the, the, the importance of confidentiality and, and you know, um, yeah. boundaries. And I was working with people that I couldn't be seen to be, you know, uh, out there doing crazy things because I wasn't and I didn't want to do it anyway. So I saw, I just changed my life then from then. And I mean, the thing about, the thing about it being public now is everyone's being public, mate. You know, everyone goes on YouTube, everyone does a podcast. Anyone, it's the way the life works, world works now. And, you know, the fact that we talk about this stuff openly and mental health and addiction and all these other problems that we have as a humans is vital because people get isolated. And when they're isolated and they're suffering with stuff like that, they don't have answers. And that's when, that's when you know, I get depressed and, you know, suicide's at its highest rate ever. You'd have thought with the world being so, uh, what's the word? so advanced and so cool and so in touch as you we, we like to think, you know, mobile phones or whatever it is, we're a community, everyone's in touch with each other. It isolates people more, which is why people are committing suicide because they're not living up to the world's expectations of them or the comparisons that they live by, you know, by looking at everyone else's, what they've got and what they have and what they seem to have online is not real. It was a very naive time, wasn't it, when you look back? Um, and do you think every generation will feel that? Do you think that the kids now are going to think, you know, when they look back, they'll think, well, that was a naive time. You know, we, we, we had a lot of growing up to do. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because as you say, the world has definitely changed. I don't know about that. I don't think the kids are going to look back and go, that was a naive time. I think they're going to look, I don't think they're going to look back at all of anything because it's moving so fast in the future. If they don't keep up with what's going on, they're all going to get left behind. So I think... I don't think the past is going to be as impactful now because I think they, the times move folks quickly and because they, they just, everyone's expected to be so quick and so up to date mm. and expected to be achieving these goals and being these sort of people and being this sort of person and that sort of person. They're going to be expected to be so fast and so, uh, you know, so you know, uh, you know, achieve un unrealistic goals that they're going to forget about who they really are as opposed to, so they're going to be living this fantasy world because of that's what it's created 
So they don't actually, because they compare themselves, they don't live, they, they, I want to be like that, I want to be, I've got to be like that, I've got to be like that. So you change the way you look, you change the way you dress and all that stuff. I mean, we used to, we used to drop, follow fashion. We were, yeah, but, we were, but you know, we didn't have phones on the, we didn't, mind, we didn't have phones on the dance floor, right? Yeah, that, that didn't happen. Our minds was, weren't, our minds weren't controlled by this stuff, technology. And this is why, you know, like, so back then, yeah, okay, we had a problem with drugs and stuff, but I've dealt with that. But now, you know, people have the most addictive substance in their hand. Mm. To, anyway, we can't uh, necessarily change that, you and me. But uh, we no, can, collectively, we, can. we maybe have a little, we can say a few things. That's what we can But We'll have a little go. Um, I want to talk about your enduring partnership with, with Alex, because Brandon Block and Alex P were kind of probably one of the big DJ partnerships of that time. <laughs> and um, that must be quite something you're quite proud of. Well, look, you know what? The thing about it was it's, uh, you know, Torpor and Seb were a partnership when they did like yep. that. And uh, I suppose... Sasha and Diggory. Macintosh in their day. Um, yeah. Well, also big partnerships. Um well, yeah, I mean, look, you've got well, Sasha and Digweed. Uh, you had Parks and Wilson. I'm thinking about any partnerships I can think of now. Park, but, you know, you were, one of the, you were one of the big ones. But, yeah, listen, we the thing about space was, and it was all about space in our big for that where, where that all started, right? That was the epitome of community coming together, all walks of life, not giving a monkeys about anything and just dancing and enjoying each other's mm. company. And that, being in there and being able to play music in that environment, myself and Alex, you know, for five, six, seven, eight hours a day, however long it took, till they could get us off the decks, was an incredible experience. <laughs> and, it did, yeah. it, it, and, you know, it did entice people to book us a lot. And we did get that. And that's, you know, that legacy went on for a long, long time. And and, uh, and then once, obviously, I, I, I went on my journey, um, we did lots of gigs together, but things had changed for me, you know, and, and, you know, uh, I wasn't doing anything that I used to. So, you know, I was, you know, I'd go home on the nights when we'd stay in hotels and, you know, I'd, I'd get drive driven home and not go out, you know, and that, that's been ever since then. So, yeah, but I mean, it was a whirlwind, mate. You know, it, it was just great. The Kiss radio show, everything was fantastic. Unbelievable. And you guys, you guys are still mates now. You guys still, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, do stuff together now. Yeah, we, absolutely. We just don't see each other as often. You know, I've got, yeah, yeah. I'm getting married, and um, you know, we do different things. I do a lot of stuff on happy days. I do a lot of sem- do some seminars and do workshops and do some pub- well, public speaking. That's what I, that's what I wanted to walk on, uh, move on to, Brandon, because you know, everyone's journey doesn't doesn't stop. We never reach a place where we just stand still, of course. So your journey is continuing. But right now, you're, you're very much into coaching. A friend of mine, uh, Danny Savage in Ibiza, has got DJ Growth Lab. You were saying before we, we hit record that you're working with Danny, which sounds awesome. Yeah. All right, well, cool. Well, your, your Happy Days for Everyone um, project, again, is along the same lines. It's along the lines of well-being and uh, coaching and as you say your qualifications in stuff like neuro-linguistic programming and cognitive therapy and all that stuff is all kind of coming together in a new direction for you so um, we won't talk about the the, the forthcoming uh, goodness that we were talking about off off mic yeah. but let's talk about 
you know, some of the other DJ coaching stuff you've been involved in. Tell us some of the stuff you've been doing. Well, look, I mean, the coaching as such is I, I help people. I'm, I mean, if people want to ring me and, you know, having troubles with certain things and I'm happy to talk to them. We do run a coaching package, but um, which is, you know, um, people can contact me. And I also am a, a goal mapping practitioner, which is the coaching stuff that I do. If people want to contact me through the goal mapping website, then obviously uh, I'm a, I can become a, a coach with them in improving their lives and looking at uh, overcoming adversity and how to work around certain, you know, life changes and situations. Um, but the happy days for everyone is was a project that myself and uh, the people involved, Michelle Allen and Gaynor Murphy, sort of came up with by, as I said, I came out of that big brother house and thought, what do I need to do to make myself better? And I went to a, I went to a Tony Robbins event, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. actually... The event itself blew my mind. I thought, oh, no, there's there's a way out for me. I need to work on myself and do some stuff around my, you know, my spiritual and emotional well-being, which I did. I went on a journey. It turns out I knew so many people in that world who had also you know, decide, discovered that they needed to change lots of things about what was going on for them uh, mm-hmm. and Im- Im- immerse themselves in this world. Um, now, the thing that didn't sit right with me was the amount of money they charged for this after what's it called art like the aftercare let's say uh, yeah. and i sort of thought well that's it's not what i'm used to because obviously our aftercare came for free and it was yeah. something that we helped people with so i sort of went on a um not a mission but I, you know i started talking about this with michelle and that and grainer and, and it turns out that by changing what we did was we just they'd give people a little bit of a boost every day and a lot of other people do that but because people know us and the fact that it's coming from us is that people went people, a lot of people resonate with it because then we've been out together or we've spent time together or you know been in a club together and you know a lot of people uh unfortunately at this time in their life are now you know now wondering what to do it's become such a real competitive world and very very difficult to compete in because obviously technology moves so quickly people are finding themselves at a loose end and finding you know what do i do now how do i move fast forward or how do i and you know what? The fundamental thing that came to us was that if we are happier in ourselves, we are not as afraid about attempting to achieve goals. Over time, the stress, although life doesn't, you know, life still throws massive curveballs at you. You're in a better place to deal with them and a better, you have a better community to maybe work it out with and you have a, a you know, a, a bigger reach and you've now created a better environment to deal with this stuff. And that's what Happy Days was about. And, you know, over... You know, since since we sort of started a year and two years ago, no, year and a half ago, I am much happier, and everyone who's joined up has become happier. And you know, you don't realise it if you don't look at it every day. So, oh, I'm happy today. You don't. You just you just put some new programs in your life, and then if you look back like six months ago, you go, Christ, I actually feel much happier. And it's about changing the mindset and changing some old beliefs and, you know, changing the way you look at the world and being able to sort of task yourself with, you know, without saying driving, without giving yourself too much to do, give yourself little things to do. And achieving those little goals will make you achieve the bigger goals. And, you know, it's taking the fear out of the achievement because, you know, often we come from a place of fear because we, we don't think we're good enough. Failure personally and, you know, it's often more often than not it's just it's just something that hasn't worked that particular way brandon it's made me realize how just how much time, how much time 
has passed since uh, you know the heady days of the early 90s um and especially to talk to someone like you and to hear your journey it's really inspiring to hear it Thank but it's a long time isn't it and uh it's a lifetime mate it is well it's half a lifetime anyway well no to think about it, if you're if you're 30 years old that's you know it's nearly you know nearly half a life no you're right i mean look, look 30 years is a adulthood so for me it's a like it's a, and you know i could be born again and still live this life and still have 20 years to go. So it, it's nearly a lifetime that's passed, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. 96 is for 20, was it 96? So 99, 23, be 24 years since I've, you know, that, that legacy, that madness has sort of stopped. Yeah. And, you know, anything to end off with Brandon, anything that you would have done differently? I'm, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but uh, if you could go back and change something, what would you change? I think, I think in all honesty, I think if I'd had the, the knowledge to say, look, you know what? Don't be so not Don't be so horrible to yourself. Mm. Uh, and but nothing else would. I wouldn't change anything else, mate. You know, I, I, I've lived an incredible life, and it's been nonstop. I mean, look at those first years with nonstop excitement. Look, I'm still talking. About, people still talk about it today, so it must have been impactful. <laughs> it was indeed, you know, Brandon. Um, so you know, uh, no, I wouldn't change anything. You've been a, you've been an inspiring guest. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for sharing your story. Good luck with the uh, the stuff that's coming up. That sounds very exciting. Good luck with the the, the happiness coaching. Um, it sounds like the best is yet to come. We can't wait to hear about it at some point in the future. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thanks for mate. your time. Brilliant. Cheers, Phil. Bye. Bye, mate.